Welcome to Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie and Tin Machine podcast. I'm Jesse. And I am John. And today we are talking Tin Machine on tour. Tin Machine live. Kind of everything Tin Machine in live venues. Uh, we didn't do a, a standalone Tin Machine tour episode. So there, there was the official Tin Machine tour following the first album that was, I think, like 12 shows or something like that. And then they had the the second tour, which was the It's My Life tour, it was called. Uh, and that one was a lot longer. So I guess this is kind of the It's My Life tour episode. Uh, but we're going to talk live albums, videos, TV performances, all that good shit. Uh, yeah. Kind of a lot to cover, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, especially because it's, yeah... We're covering, I guess, from summer 89 up until Tin Machine's demise, or whatever you want to call it. Kind of split, with no plans on it being permanent, but no, there was some things going on with one of the members of the band, and I think he was getting difficult to work with. He's so sorry. <laughs> He's very, very <laughs> sorry about that, yeah. Uh, Alright, yeah, so let's just kind of... Maybe go over the, the the two tours. Uh, so yeah, the Tin Machine tour was summer of '89, twelve shows, uh, New York, L.A., and Europe. So very very small, I guess, just kind of promoting the fact that David Bowie's in a band again. Um, and on that tour, they had Kevin Armstrong along. You know, he was one of the basically touring member of the band, I guess, on guitar. He almost should have been a member. He played on the albums, he played live, and you just... Yeah, that's kind of weird. not allowed to be in the band. <laughs> yeah, that, that is kind of odd. Um, I first heard or discovered who he was through... He was with Bowie on Live Aid, and a couple of years ago, my daughter was so into the Bowie Live Aid performances, and when he does the band introductions mm-hmm. on guitar, Kevin Armstrong, who is this guy? Um kind of gets the Ian Stewart Rolling Stones treatment. Yeah, or the Daryl Jones Rolling Stones. He, he's been in the band, I think, longer than Bill Wyman now. But he's not... Stones a, have been going on for that long. But he's not a member He's not a member of the band. It's kind I of think funny. it was like this year he surpassed him in service time. The Stones always get the whole, oh, they're great and they're, you know, they're better than the Beatles or whatever because they, uh, they've lasted a long time. Well, when's their last half-decent record? Like, Tattoo You? <laughs> 1981 and that was like kind of like scraps from it's not even that great yeah Yeah. some girls probably if you want to talk like an actual like classic solid album you know some girls it's it's okay i think some girls is good it's good but i mean if we're talking about why they could be on the same level as the beatles it's not even yeah I mean, to be fair, I mean, the, not like the Beatles were doing, John Lennon was out of the well, music y- business, right, Paul's yeah. putting out Back yeah. to the Egg. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's just the, the whole longevity thing right. for the Stones is just like, well, okay, they, it's just like the Simpsons at this point. They're, they've got more bad years than they have good years, so how, yeah. what good is longevity? You know, Tom Brady could play till he's 70, and at <laughs> some point it doesn't matter anymore because he's right. just tarnishing yeah. his legacy more than anything. Well, back to someone who does a good job of uh, salvaging the last, the latter half of his career. <laughs> so, yeah, the Tim Machine tour with Kevin Armstrong uh, produced a live album that was released in 2019, live at La Segal. Uh, 
uh, in Paris. I've, I had a concert DVD of the Chili Peppers from the Stadium Arcadium era that was at La Segale, which is kind of neat. So when I saw this, oh, cool, now Bowie has a live album there, too, which is really cool. Very specific place. I've never heard of that. Right, yeah. I, those are the only two. Yeah, we should we should look it up, see what else has been there. But, well, at least one we know of the Chili Peppers. Um, and I really got into that album this summer. I kind of threw it on every once in a while, mostly because I wanted to hear Maggie's Farm. He does, he covers Maggie's Farm on it, which is pretty cool. Um, and that's kind of neat, because there's the, the Ronson-Dylan connection. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get, there's also a song for Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. And and he he covered another, he covered uh, Trying to Get to Heaven later on. I was going to say, that's the one that I that sticks out come, to me. But that's kind of coming up when he covers that, isn't it? Was Trying to Get to Heaven, like, late 90s? Yeah, early 2000s late, late 90s maybe? I yeah. think yeah or is it yeah it was maybe like yeah anyway well it's just such a great pick for a cover too because that's like my favorite Bob Dylan album and that's off that's time out of mind one of the like top three songs on said album so the fact that Bowie did it is just uh, that's that's incredible I mean he always had a knack for like he wouldn't be the type of guy to cover like a Rolling Stone actually I shouldn't say that because he did like Imagine and stuff like that but yeah he I mean more often than not, Bowie's not picking the redundant or the overplayed songs. He's usually finding jams or covering the legendary Stardust Cowboy and Biff Rose, stuff like that. You can always count on Bowie to pick the pick the gems. Right. I also kind of feel like Imagine has gained popularity. Like, it's still gaining popularity. Well, yeah, and that COVID ex- lockdown with all the, the tone-deaf <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger and all the billionaires were... Saying a singing imagine together, oh, remember remember that kind trend. Of, it was like uh, the yeah. first the first week of lockdowns, and you know everybody's losing their jobs and getting evicted, and they're all hey, they're in their hot tubs, in their you know. <laughs> oh God, that's I I kind I don't think I ever I, I think you maybe sent me that and I didn't I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. All right, uh, yeah. So that first Tim Machine tour, brief. But have you listened to that live album? I have not. No, I the only one I really studied was outside of that EP that has Maggie's Farm on it that you were playing in your backyard oh, all yeah. summer. I just was listening to Oy Vey Baby. Okay, yeah. Um, so I've listened to uh, Heavens and Here for five hours of my because I played the <laughs> I mean, album. That goes on because I, I so played long. the album twice. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Oy Vey Baby is the. Uh, the official, or well, I guess the other one's official too now, but but it's late. But Oive Baby came out uh, on time. It came out uh, July second, nineteen ninety two, um, which was right after the It's My Life tour ended, which ran from October ninety one to February ninety two, sixty nine shows. Uh, but no Kevin Armstrong on guitar. They had Eric Schirmerhorn, who went on to play with Iggy Pop. A little later, but um, he's. Oh, so this is the Iggy Pop band because that's where Hunt and Tony come from. Oh also. yeah, that's true. I wonder if they played with him later too. Did I don't think so. Sales? No, yeah. that was just Berlin stuff. I honestly don't know what Hunt Sales was doing after Tin Machine. I don't know either. Yeah, because he seemed to be in a bit of a. A fun. He wasn't doing too good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The it's my so th- yeah, Oy Vey Baby, which was I think a play on of uh, Aktung Baby. Uh, the U two, yeah. it was a it was a a hunt idea. Hunt had a few ideas. Apparently, that T shirt, the "fuck you, I'm in Tin Machine" T shirt, was his idea too. <laughs> well, and even that, I guess the "It's My Life" tour, that's his tattoo, right? 
Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. on his back. Yeah. I didn't even notice that until you said the It's My Life tour. And, oh, right, that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. It is, and if you watch these concerts, it is kind of like the Hunt Sales show, almost as much as it is the David Bowie show. Was that a play out? It's my life. No, could could have been. Well, I seem to remember reading somewhere um, that it was an incomplete tattoo. It was supposed to say, it's my life, so fuck off. Oh, or something. yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. I think yeah. it's just something <laughs> that he came up with. That just matched his kind of bad boy rebel energy. Yeah. Um, yeah, Oyve Baby. Uh, I've, I've listened to that. That was like, I think it was the first time I've listened to it through this time. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Heavens in Here goes on a long time. Um, well, and the, the only real issue I have with that is just that time could have been allocated to like, the Tony sales saw like go now or something, you know, like there, I, I guess there was apparently a second album in the works, but because Oy Vey baby didn't chart the label just went, well, no. Yeah. Like, what's the point in doing this a second time? And Oy Vey was the first, uh, it was, I think the first time that a Bowie project didn't chart since, since 67. 67. Yeah. So his first album. Yeah. Maybe a bit humbling, I suppose. It's funny because yeah. So commercially humbling maybe, but I feel like, the plan was working like you know like his everything was going well it just maybe wasn't selling and maybe that was the plan like well yeah i always wonder about like tin machines breakup because hunt's drug problem is the major catalyst for the band's demise at least as far as like the history books are concerned right you always see like that's the reason they broke up but i think there's also something to the notion of bowie just getting what he needed out of tin machine like almost like he was using them like it doesn't quite come off as this sincere band that was just going to be bowie's main artistic avenue for like the rest of time Right, I mean, mm-hmm. he was always going to go solo again. Whether Tin Machine held itself together or not, I think they maybe could have gone on as a side gig, like maybe a Tin Machine 3 comes out, they tour, and then there's a Bowie solo album and a solo tour, like a movie, then maybe Tin Machine 4, then a couple Bowie albums and a Tin Machine 5. But I mean, I feel like eventually, like, the wheels were going to fall off for one reason or another, right? Yeah. And, and I think the fact that they weren't charting maybe plays a, a bit of a factor too. Like let's say Tin Machine was just, there's just nothing was happening there. Nobody was buying anything. Like were they, was Tin Machine really going to last two decades? I mean, no. I, yeah, I don't think so. You know, not to say that Hunt's drug problem wasn't a catalyst, but I feel like there was, you know, this band probably wasn't long for this world anyway. Well, and funny, I, I wonder if it's just like the, the selection of songs too. I, I, what are your thoughts on Oive Baby? Because for me, I'll just quickly say uh, it's, to me, it's inferior to the live at La Seagal. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, it, I, I, I haven't heard that one, but I'm, I, I just mean it's inferior to, like, anything we could have put together or anybody else could have put together. Because it's just, it's kind of redundant, right? Like, the song choices, like, there's not, like I said, I would much rather have had, like, uh, the country version of Bus Stop. Oh, yeah, Or, like, right. uh, the Tony Sales lead vocal doing Go Now. It kind of, sh- it's more diverse. It's mm-hmm. a di- little bit different from the records, and it shows you that it's less of a Bowie thing. You get a different lead singer. Uh, and even Reeves sang the Neil Young song that Bowie winds up doing on Heathen. Yeah, I've been like, waiting for you. Yeah. Like, you know, I, maybe throw at least a couple of those songs on there instead of just, I mean, the only non-Bowie vocal we get is Stateside. Right. And, you know, and that goes on for about an hour, too. <laughs> well, and there, so... Coinciding with this was a con- like a concert uh, video. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, live at the docks in Hamburg, 
And it show like there are when you listen to that or watch that even better uh, there, like you could just pick just from that alone, a better yeah. Oy Vey baby. So like you said, yeah, we could have crafted a better playlist. Hey, we should redo well, Oy Vey. That's what, honestly, what I was thinking. I was like, I kind of want to do like a live best d- of definitive yeah. live album just because Oy Vey baby is, I don't think anybody, if you were to say like, let's just erase that from the Bowie canon, it wouldn't like be no the would most, make, it wouldn't no. be the most sacrilegious thing ever. Cause who's, there's not a lot of people really that a know about it or if they do, they're not really going to bat for it, and probably for a lot of the reasons that we're listing. Well, I mean, who, yeah. who compiled this thing anyway? Was it Tin Machine or was I it? I don't know, but I mean, I don't go to bat for live albums really ever. I, in fact, I'll I'll fight against them a lot of the time, and and this one kind of has a lot of those issues that I have with live albums, which is, I mean, the sequencing. I'm not a fan of splicing things up. I, I if I want to listen to an album, I want to pick feel like I'm there. Or if I want to listen to a live thing, I want to feel like I'm there. These I, songs they all fade out. At they the fade end, right? and fade in. No, that was yeah. That's another one too. They they fade out, so you don't get the stage banter. You get less and, and less of the live experience. And that that doesn't represent what Tin Machine was because there right. was a lot of banter. There was you know yeah. Hunt will come off his drums and they made like there's a great camaraderie between. I mean that's one of my favorite things about watching the the live at the docks. Thing. They're it's having like, so much you fun. You know they yeah. always pointing out oh there's Hunt sales everywhere and Hunt comes down and yeah, how do I, what do you think of my outfit David uh, overdressed and he's just in his like gitch you right. Know? <laughs> Or he'll say to Tony, like, oh, damn, you're good looking. You got better. He said at one point, like, you got better looking as that song went on. <laughs> he calls him Robert De Niro. Yeah, I don't think it captures the essence of Tin Machine all that yeah. well. Yeah. And I, okay, I get that all these songs are kind of recorded at different dates and stuff. So it's like, well, okay, it's going to be. You can't seg- you can't fade them into each other because they're from different. No, you can do that, though. Yeah. I mean, a lot of live albums have done that. Yeah. Like, like. A lot of, like, almost all of them have well, done that, you know. pick a better show and just let it run, because that's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so the, the the Paris one has, I was listening to it, <laughs> look at how this song just starts. This is what happens when you leave stage banter in. Lock it <laughs> what a better way just... Rock and roll, man. <laughs> but I, I just it made me laugh, and I, like, you don't get that on Oy Vey. I so, think that that's what Tin Machine is too, because there's a lot of uh, it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what Tin Machine is. You know, you get are they grunge? Are they this? So I think they're just like rock and roll. They're just yeah. like a rock. They're a rock band. Yeah, and so interestingly, uh, on that subject of what what are they? Are they grunge? Are they rock? I I was reading this book. Uh, it's Hello, Space Boy by Dave Thompson. It's the re, the it focuses on the rebirth of David Bowie. So it it, it talks for maybe like a chapter about his pre Tin Machine stuff, and it kind of starts at well just after Tin Machine. But there's there's more on Tin Machine in this book than I've ever really seen. And something that really stuck out when I was reading it was um, somebody who saw them eight times on the the tour, the the second tour. Um, in the states or the it's my life tour uh recalled that the seattle show was the worst they had ever been to and seattle was the you know the hotbed of of grunge Grunge, at at the time right and um this is you know on the heels of nirvana's huge uh, when when did when was nevermind released 91 so this is late 91 going into 92 right so yeah this is yeah let's maybe 
double check that. I mean, it, 91. It's yeah. Like September 24th to be exact. So this was around Christmas time. Uh, so yeah, right on the heels of, of Nevermind being released. And apparently like the morale was kind of down. They, they thought that maybe they were feeling like, I guess we don't, we'll never really know, but to psychoanalyze, they may have been feeling like a little bit, okay, now we're going to go and try to do this too. And they're not, it's not, a, it was, we talked about this on the first Tin Machine uh, episodes. It's not genuine grunge when it comes from these guys. Like they're not kids in their garages with somebody, you know, an uncle's guitar pedal that they found in their grandmother's sweater. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing songs that they can hardly even play, finger the chords to. You know what I mean? Like, it's well, just, something about it isn't grunge, I well, guess. Well, they do, like, I, that's why I wanted to highlight Go Now. I mean, that's like beat music. Right, You yeah. know, like, it's just, like, that's not grunge at all to me. And they don't do a grunge even rendition of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's like Tony Say, like, they, they don't look like it, like, they kind of, they you know the the bus stop country version. I mean, it's just they're not—they're just a rock band to me, anyway. Like they're—that's why I was trying to say that earlier. They're just rock, right? Yeah, and, and it's hard rock, which is close to grunge, but it's just—I don't know. I don't think it's quite grunge. Well, and so Thompson really kind of sums it up here. I'm going to quote. I'm going to read from from the text here. Um, it he said that they'd kind of been transformed from pioneers to plagiarists. So at one point Bowie was paving the w- paving the way and was a pioneer for music, and now he's not doing that. He's kind of just, oh, I'm gonna do this grungy sounding rock, and uh, he says here it was obvious that no matter where they went, uh, they would only ever be trailing in the footsteps of the grunge that had gone before them. So yeah, if Tin Machine were to keep going as a band, where do they go? Because if they go in the style of what music is going, like. It's just going to, like you said, it's going to be following Grunge's footsteps. They might have to do, like, the Tin Machine 1 to Tin Machine 2 pop leap. (laughs) Right. And, like, is that really what Bowie, is is that really what you think he'd want to be doing? I mean, you think about the first song that he does after Tin Machine. It's, uh, I think it's, it was was left off, but Real Cool World, uh, which was from the Black Tie sessions. And it just sounds so fresh. That's just like, oh, okay, Bowie's doing something cutting edge again. And I think, I, I guess what, what I'm getting at is I, I think Tin Machine was was good and it ended at appropriate time. Yeah. Because where else was it going to go? I, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I was getting at earlier too with the whole, okay, we can blame Hunt Sales and like, a, you know, let's not let him entirely off the hook. You know, apparently he was fucking up and he's, you know, he's admitted as much, but it's it just seemed like, Tin Machine was coming to its inevitable demise. Maybe it was accelerated by Hunt Sales, you know, extravagant behavior and whatnot, but it, it did seem like Tin Machine, like I said, they probably weren't too long for this world regardless, I don't yeah. think. And for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned as well. So, uh, yeah, Live at the Docks is cool because you can see um, you can see Reeves singing the Neil Young cover. Uh, you can see even t- uh, Tony Sales sings. Uh, what, what song does he sing? Go now, go now. Right, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a lot of covers. If you go through the Wikipedia list of songs mm-hmm. that were played, there were quite a bit of of song. Like, you, even some of them were just kind of mixed into the the prolonged jams. Heavens like, and here had I'm a king, king bee. bee. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and you know some of that stuff was was cool like reeves said that a lot of it was improvised and you don't have to take his like you just if you listen to it you know that this is a lot of improvised stuff like the solos that go on forever Um, because it's just like way too many bars for it to be like did they they actually plan plan to do this this way no of course not yeah and um sometimes you don't even realize what song it is anymore you get kind of lost in the improvisation and that i i kind of i really like that because that's what listening that's why you're going to listen to a live anything is hey i want something different and yeah so so hearing some of the crazy guitar work or the way that they changed the tempo on some songs it's kind of it's neat well, I uh, another reason why I thought Oyve Baby wasn't a good representation, and if we could probably compile something, even honestly, even just exclusively from the live at the docks, probably you could mm-hmm. get a, uh, you can get a better uh, track listing. Is uh, like Betty Wrong, like that, like a with Bowie doing the the, the saxophone stuff, right. you know, for for these excessive stretches of time like to me that would maybe make more sense than a 20 minute rendition of heavens in here right right it's it's just something different from the record it's improv it's different it captures the live essence of tin machine a lot better so yeah i mean i I would have liked to have seen you know that for example maybe be on be on the record i saw i I couldn't really tell i i read this after the fact i didn't go back and listen but apparently uh eric schirmerhorn really played he was good at keeping things together, so I'm not sure if, if Kevin Armstrong maybe filled that same role. I'd have to really look back, and I thought that's interesting, because the sales is, are going crazy on bass and on drums. Especially Hunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. Um, and, and Reeves is, is Reeves, right? <laughs> so like his he plays at a tune be, just because. And you kind of need somebody to, to hold it all together. It's not really going to be Bowie. No, it's no, just, no. He's, he's the singer. He's, like, up, he's up there. Sometimes not even with the guitar. Right. right exactly. Now. So I, I, I'm, I, I know. I, I read that Eric was definitely doing that. I'm not sure about about Armstrong, but yeah, that's you know, and it's funny in live scenarios doing that kind of stuff. Um, here, let's fill our Dylan quota uh, again. <laughs> if you had mentioning <laughs> Dylan twice on the bingo card. Uh, when everyone thought that because Dylan is he, he's notorious for bad time and kind of going off crazy with his harmonica and out of time and doing weird things and kind of wandering as he plays especially live and, and those early recordings I mean listen to another side of Bob Dylan if you want a, a you know, perfect <laughs> example of it um, and when he collaborated with the Grateful Dead everyone thought oh perfect because they're gonna go and do like a hundred songs or a or hundred minutes of one song. And you put them together, and I, I thought Dylan and the Dead isn't good. It's been a I, long time since I played that. Well, th- when you put that together, it kind of just all doesn't... It falls off the rails, and it stays off the rails. You kind of need something to... Like, he needs a band like The Band. Like, the literally The Band. Or that were super... his band, which they go by now. His... <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but you need that, like, they were a tight group, and, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were a tight band, like, so good, and they just said, yeah, go off and do whatever you want, and we'll, we'll just carry everything for you, and, because he toured with Tom Petty in the late 80s. Mom and Dad, the first time, our dad's seen Bob Dylan, like, a dozen times. The first time he saw them was with Tom Petty backing. But yeah, it's you need that backbone to be there that you can rely on, if not, things can... Could fall apart so kudos to those two I'm, I'm just lumping kevin armstrong into that for for allowing them to 
to go crazy mm-hmm. on their instruments. You notice uh, during Heavens and Here on Oy Vey Baby that the audience thinks it's over, that the 750 mark, we can make, Oh, yeah. We can, yeah. We can play <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, because uh, it, yeah, I, they start applauding and they're kind of like, okay, thank God. <laughs> yeah, but to Tim Machine's credit, they were cheering, you know, like they weren't rolling their eyes, so they were at least into it, but the crowd also had the sense of, well, they had the sense of when the song should have ended, and I, I can't say they were wrong. You know, it's like the 500,000 Elvis fans can't be wrong, and the 10,000 Tin Machine audience goers can't be either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, working class, uh, yeah, just going through some highlights, I guess, now. Uh, working Class Hero was a lot better to me as a song on a live album than a song on the actual album. Uh, Reeves is playing on it is incredible. I absolutely love it. And uh, it just feels like, oh, cool, they're going to cover this on this live album. It, it's great. Like, that I, makes I don't more know. sense for yeah, a live album it choice than just a, fits better. Yeah. a studio album cut. Yeah, kind of like, here, let's, let's talk about Tom Petty some more. Uh, the, he has a new album that just kind of, well, it's not new, but uh, the Live at the Fillmore. So he did a, a residency at the Fillmore, uh, this small club, kind of like this, around this time too. It was in the a bit later 90s, I think, where he just was the house band. They were, they were the band for like a month every night. And there's a ton of covers on it. And I love listening to those covers in a live setting as mm-hmm. where when you know, especially a band like the Heartbreakers, when they just do, we've talked about, we, we pick on it all the time, feel a whole lot better. It's boring. He's doing the song note for note. And yeah, I mean, uh, Working Class Hero wasn't note for note or like it, they definitely added their own flavor to Probably it. Probably would have been better if it was note for note. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely love the idea of covers on a live album as opposed to a studio album. I mean, I even just think of the song Go Now, again, for an example. I mean, Denny Lane, who wrote it uh, for the Moody Blues and sang it. Uh, he sang it during Wings concerts, too, like Paul McCartney and Wings. It's on Wings Over America. He that's did, right, yeah. Um, oh, that's right. And I think they do, like, Richard Corey or something, too. They do do and, Richard Corey, And none Corey, of those yeah. songs are on the album. They're on the live album, but they're not on any of the studio And that's albums. just perfect, yeah. And, I like, it's the same kind of deal here where Tony Sales is like a... I mean, they're, they were supposed to be one for all, all for one, but let's face it, I mean, Tim Machine comes off as... The Sales Brothers and Reeves are more like side members, so it would kind of be similar to Denny Lane and Wings. Like Tony Sales is a side member, yeah. getting his live vocal. Yeah, should, let's yeah, let's not pretend that he's not. It is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just they, you know, they get. I think it's Tony who does the band introductions. Uh, they're doing that to compensate for right. his lack of showmanship elsewhere. Right, right? like that's. Like, yeah, he introduces everybody. Oh, and that's David Bowie over there on vocals, and everybody goes crazy. It's like, yeah, you can't hide it. That's like uh, my one of my favorite uh, YouTube channels, Dead End Hip Hop. They have a really quiet guy, and, like, he always, at the beginning of a video, if they need somebody to, like, list off some fat, like, he'll be, like, listing off, like, the the release date and stuff. They got him doing that because he's going to say fuck all for the rest of the episode. <laughs> it's the same deal here with Tony introducing the band, yeah. right? He's got you got to get him some screen time, some microphone time. And that's not to like make it like Tony Sales isn't capable of being a a, yeah, a guy that's on. It's just the role really isn't there for him because David Bowie's the main guy, right? It's like Bowie's yeah. the Bowie's the show. So they, in order to try to make it like Tin Machine's four equal parts, they have to force parts in for the other guys because it's not going to happen during the songs really for them. 
Oh, you got me thinking Richard Corey, too. That's such a good song. I, mean, I haven't. You it know is, what? Yeah. This is a good time to listen to. That's off Sounds of Silence, uh, mm-hmm. Simon and Garfunkel. That's a, that's a good fall album. We're, we're mid. The Leaves That Are Green Turn, turn to, to Brown exactly. is on that album. The yeah. perfect fall album. Yeah. it's. Uh, I haven't listened to that since I was in university. That was, I was big oh, into wow, that back yeah. then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's lots of albums that I'm coming back to recently that I haven't played in a long time. It's fun. Um, another highlight for me is the the uh, Les Seagal version of uh, I Can't Read it's like slowed down even more it's a pretty slow tempo song and it's just a slog and it like it makes you feel what Bowie was because that was his famous uh, well, it's not very famous but that was his writer's block song where he was having trouble writing uh, and coming up with I mean it was hey I'm in Tim Machine now to try to turn the ship around <laughs> And you kind of feel like you feel that song uh, with this kind of swampy tempo and it's even swampier and it feels like it feels like you're sick, like you've got a fever and you can't move and or you're in like, you know, you're in cement that's drying or something. It's just <laughs> I just absolutely love the, the the emphasis on that in the in that performance. It's in all of them, really, but that one seems to just work more. You could. It's you know how like with XL on Main Street you can kind of feel that album more than you hear it. There's something yeah. about that. There's something about the way Damp that amp sounding hot. Oh, it's just yeah. It, it, those are the two maybe best examples of it. XL, which I think a lot of people can relate to, and I can't read live by Tin Machine, but the live versions. It just it, you can kind of just like you feel it in your chest or something where you're just like oh I can really like this. It's not the same as getting goosebumps when you hear a really good song. It's like a, it's it's a different kind of thing. It's not even really a good feeling. It's just a feeling, and it's it's interesting. Yeah, that's a huge highlight for me. That, that's I'd say that's my favorite live moment of what's available out there. There's a lot available. If you go on YouTube, you can find there's a ton of of mm-hmm. material to sift and, through. Uh, it's it's Tim Machine at their worst and best is live like. I haven't really seen any of the bad stuff, but I've heard, I guess, the Seattle show would be one of those examples. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, there's a particular interview where Bowie's kind of talking about that. Like, there were very low lows, but there were very high highs, and I think he's kind of was saying that the best stuff isn't really on the albums. Like, it's it was the live shows where, where they really had a lot of fun. Right. And that's because they're a rockin' rock band. You know, of course, the live stuff's going to be fun. That's why, to our point earlier, too, there should have been more maybe banter included on these this, this live album. Well, I mean, at least the one I played. I probably should have played the one you've been talking about, but it's hard to find some of these records. Like, I guess I could have gone on YouTube, but it's like none of it's on streaming or anything, right? Which yeah. Is well, the the live at Lisa Gal is on Spotify at, at okay. least. Yeah, so it's not on Apple it, Music. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of back to that. That's like, where my streaming loyalties reside. Um, they're kind of the vibe of Tim Machine, or like the being this band is like a, a band that hasn't got a record deal yet. I know technically they didn't for Tin Machine 2 for a while. They had to shop it around a little bit. But I mean, look, they're this is post-80s Bowie. Like, <laughs> you know, these bands are supposed to be paying their dues in the bars and the small venues. And that's yeah. where, like, you know, like the Beatles in Hamburg or, or whatever. Like, this is, like, it kind of, it makes sense that that's their the setting that they thrive in because mm-hmm. that's what they are right now. They're a new band. Like how many bands get put together and two seconds later have mass distribution, like, like, yeah. like a month later or like, Oh yeah, well we'll just use Bowie's, uh, 
record deal and we'll put this out under Tin Machine. Like, it's not that easy. You gotta you gotta work your way up, and they didn't really have to. But when they're playing live in small venues, it, it's a bit more genuine, I guess. Even though how they got there maybe like, you know, they're not necessarily going like, "Excuse me, sir, can we please play?" <laughs> like, it's it's more like, "Hey, we want to," you know. <laughs> I'm David Bowie. Can I play a gig at your place? <laughs> it would have been interesting if they would have tried to sell them as a band getting a gig without David Bowie attending the meetings and stuff. But if they were like an anonymous band, right? Like, who's that guy Orville Peck? Like they don't like they're ma- or like the residents. Yeah, they're masked <laughs> and you don't know who they are. Like, well, yeah, like, like uh, they, but they probably wouldn't get notice on the strength of their. And I'm not like you know we kind of we go to bat for Tin Machine, but had Tin Machine come out as this masked band they just wouldn't have caught on at all right like they just they, yeah. they, they they weren't modern they were they just they weren't fitting into anything popular so it just wouldn't have worked so they kind of needed the bowie name well i think i can't remember exactly what single it was or if it even was a single or it must have been something on black tie white noise was given to i think it was palace athena which is a very kind of kind of housey like a, a dance track um, I think it was that one wasn't getting the the type of play from DJs that they thought it would like it like at clubs, and they eventually started handing it to or I don't know who maybe it was the record label I don't know who it was but at at some point I read that they started giving it because it, it wasn't getting play because it was David Bowie mm-hmm. it's like oh we're not gonna play it this guy he's pushing fifty Tin Machine whatever you know. Yeah. Uh, they weren't playing it. They kind of just like, oh no, I'm gonna play something else that's that's hip or whatever. And then they gave it like no name, no like untitled three or something. And they gave and they started playing like, holy shit, like what is this? And it, and then it started to get get play. Well, I think it was Palace Athena, but we'll get to that in a couple episodes from now. We'll we'll pinpoint it. It was like uh, when Soldier Boy caught on back in the day. He was oh, yeah, po- uploading Boy. songs as Fifty Cent and stuff oh, on the brilliant. internet. That's brilliant. Yeah, fifty cent Getting clicks. Yeah, candy shop remix. Oh, let's check it. It's the Soldier Boy. It's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> it's exploiting the system that now exploits everybody. Yeah, I mean, he, so, yeah. he he is like a, a modern marketing genius. Yeah. I mean, it, you know his music wasn't that great, but he's he made a he he's rich. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's not really that active anymore, but he's still rich. Well, it's like I'm just gonna play Tin Machine Two. We should just record our own versions of Tin Machine Two, and. We can upload it as a podcast, but it'll be just called Tin Machine 2, and then it'll get on streaming services. Yeah, because there's no Tin Machine. Right, so if you were to search there. it, like, you know, if you were to search Amlapura, we, you'd, we'd show up on Spotify. It'd be They wouldn't see that it's podcast, it would just be us. <laughs> they do that live in the uh, Live at the Docks, which was nice. Because they, they do every, yeah. like, Live at the Docks is a long... Yeah. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah. They kind of pro- they probably do everything. I just didn't notice it. <laughs> it's it's really good. Yeah, I I had it. I've had it on kind of throughout the week. Um, but I I paid attention to the first half. Yeah, you start to get maybe a little bored, especially when stateside's on its eighteenth <laughs> verse. <laughs> then, like the verses are the same each time too. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. really change. I'm coming home. I've been gone too well, he, long. He kind of does these like lyrical variations from like performance to performance, but it's like the same thing, just said differently. <laughs> Bowie's got his shirt off. Hunt's got his shirt off. They, yeah, they they change the look. Like the first look, they're kind of like Beatles. They're all in formal wear, and then the second that didn't suit them. Uh, no pun no intended. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, 
now they're they're dressed a bit more flashy or undressed a bit more flashy in some sense. Uh, they more Reeve, look more Reeve's, like a, a club rock and roll band now. Right, Reeves still looks like Dracula a little bit, but uh, there's that one. So I think it's at like LAX. There's a there's a live video you could see them do a concert with planes landing behind them, yeah. and that one's really cool. And Bowie has that uh, that bright green suit on, and they all kind of have very uh, very bright outfits on, and it looks pretty cool. Hey, you found it on TV. Yeah, it's cool. on my Tin Machine playlist that I've had on for the past, I guess, like, month we've been doing Tin Machine. Yeah. I like uh, Hunt's drum head here, too, with the Tin Machine 2 uh, oh, statues, the statues yeah. and they're, like, different colors. <laughs> you do like it more than the one that just says Hunt? <laughs> Honestly, no. I like that one, too. That one's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, is that that's not really a thing drummers do, right? It's usually the band name. Uh, no, you got to just change yours, John. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna do that now. <laughs> I think I'm I'm done with Tin Machine Live. Uh, unless you've got anything else you want to add. Not really. Um, uh, yeah, I can't really think. I mean, it's it is kind of redundant. You know, we've talked kind of extensively about the covers, and it's outside of that and the few very like you know we've mentioned the songs that are maybe a little bit different from the album but for the most part it is a lot of redundant stuff that's what's kind of disappointing about OEV Baby for me it's yeah. just like ah uh, check I, I'd it, say it, it's just like it, it could have been there could have been some more diversification in the Tin Machine official canon discography and they kind of missed on it there I think you, you nailed it earlier when you said like anyone maybe could have done a better job of, of doing this yeah. of compiling the the tracks like yeah there's good stuff out there you just kind of got to dig for it yeah and uh there's some yeah I, I think they're a great live band i would have loved to just be there like i i would pick this over uh the black or the uh not black tie white noise he's dressed in a black tie uh the what do you call it the last tour we just said the sound and vision tour I would have rather see. I'd, I'd rather see this than, than Sound and Vision. I think. Yeah. Imagine like right now. It's yeah. Like, do you want to go see this yeah. band or do you want to go see Bowie do his hits? I'd rather go see this. I'd want to, and like I will say, you know, we kind of like Stateside catches a lot of strays, but like you know, I think that would probably be a fun song. It live. would be singing along with the Marilyn inflatable no going part. Back that part's good. You know what? That's been in my head quite a bit. Well, the and last little while, I've noticed in a lot of these Bowie books, they talk about like. Because that song's just got this bad reputation, and it's the it's the hunt song. Everybody hates the hunt songs. It's so it's low hanging fruit. People are kind of writing in these books as if like it's like fantasy. It's what they want to have been the case, and they kind of make it like, oh, you can just tell Bowie was just dreading when they had to do this one. Yeah, he just doesn't he's, he's, he doesn't look <laughs> like he's having. He, you can just tell Bowie wanted that to be over. I'm like. I'm not watching that. I didn't see that either. Uh, he's doing yeah. my favorite part. When they go to that part where he's singing, I'm like, he's doing a good job. It doesn't look like he's looking at his watch or anything. Like, right. I, I just, that feels like forced. fantasy to me. Like it's rewriting forced. history because, okay, now it's been established. Stateside sucks and we don't like the Hunt Sale songs and it's the worst thing that ever found its way on a Bowie record. So then you watch the performances and it's like, oh yeah, Bowie's just, it's not up to his standards. Look how upset he is. No, he's not. He's not. I, I don't. I. Yeah. I don't see that at all. I, that's that's made up. And it was very close to being a tumble and twirl pick. <laughs> we were. I, I almost kind of want to rescind. That. What, what did we want to pick? Let's pick. Amapura. Well, it, maybe stateside can be the live pick. Are we gonna 
do one for this? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know what? Like, it's, yeah. Uh, Stateside's state- been in my head since I listened to started listening to prepare for that episode. <laughs> yeah, and maybe I'm even starting to just fall for the everybody hates it, so I think lowly of it too. It's well, and I I just I I like Hunt's vibe. He's a fun guy, and you know. I, I love. The- I, I really warmed up to him after the more and more I watched his yeah. Tim Machine performance because I used to kind of get a little annoyed by him. I'm like, oh, who's this? I guess the cliche burnout rock and roll guy singing about sex and he's doing drugs. I'm just, I kind of don't like that. But that's that's selling him short. It totally. That's, that's is. not all yeah. he's about. You know, he's that's part of the the Hunt Sales persona. I, I'm a huge Hunt fan. I, I'd get a Hunt Sales T-shirt. I'm like, gonna I'm gonna actually not my drum's gonna say Hunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the blonde hair too. He looks really cool. Yeah, and he, he's got a good camaraderie. Yeah, I Bowie. love the I love the banter between him and Bowie in particular. I like because you know Bowie, and once again, it, you can tell that this is kind of Bowie's side project. He introduces all the guys, Hunt sales on drums, and this guy on guitar. Blah blah. He's pointing out all the people, and then like Hunt kind of comes on stage at one point and introduces Bowie, and I I almost want to say it like it came off as like in jest almost like right. everybody fucking knew who it was, and he kind of does it as a joke almost like yeah. David Bowie, everybody like well, I, he's got a great camaraderie with Bowie. They 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 have a really uh that that's another reason why I think it would be better to maybe watch this over the Sound and Vision tour. That camaraderie that this band yeah. it's a it is a legitimate band at the end of the day. I like one of the interviews they were giving to. Uh, there was a question that wasn't. They didn't say David did blah blah blah, but it was clearly it was talking about from solo to this or whatever. Like it was very clearly ad- addressed to to Bowie, and Tony talks like he answers yeah, like yeah, as they... if as as if and like you know yeah. So they they were well aware of it, and I think I don't think it really got to them. I think they just. Well, it they did, knew that going in. It did in that that Wogan interview, right? Uh, oh, the where apparently yeah. Bowie came close to getting punched by Wogan is what he said. I mean, he said that after the fact. Uh, he, yeah, he'll never know. Wogan claimed that Bowie never realized how close he came to getting slapped on TV or something. But you can kind of tell, I think, when you watch that interview, why it kind of goes askew, and it's because he's asking Bowie, like, "Why are you doing this? Like, right. what, was this an attempt uh, by you?" to do X, Y, or Z, whatever his question was. And he, he Bowie's kind of giving, like, these jackass answers. Like, he starts waving to somebody that he sees in the yeah, production. Yeah, the whole time. He and I, I think it's because he's kind of, like, annoyed that he's the, the center of attention. Right. Yeah. He didn't want that. And I, I remember thinking that Tony handled that interview very well, too. Uh, I, I can't quote anything from it just off memory, but I remember a couple times it was like, oh, like, sick burn, man. Like, you kind of, like, you really handled that question well. Uh, yeah, and, and Hunt get he gets an answer and he kind of says, "Oh, we're do this is we're trying to get back to that old that time fun, fun rock and roll." Fun, and that, yeah. that's that is what Tin Machine does. They they playing kind of more in pubs. They got a good camaraderie. They're playing rock music, you know, good old fashioned rock. Um, so naturally, it's not the greatest thing that Bowie's ever been a part of. It's no low, but it's. You know, it's also not the worst thing he's ever done. It's kind of a safe move. It's probably why he chose to do this as his, the, the thing to, to gain his, his creative spunk back was, you know, take that, the classic take the one step back to take ten steps forward. Yeah. All right, so that does it for Tim Machine Live. We're going to shoot a quick uh, Tim Machine best of, I guess we'll call it, mm-hmm. uh, episode next. 
So hope you enjoyed this one, and we'll see you next week for Tin Machine. The, <laughs> the best of Tin Machine. As soon as it comes to ending, starting and ending episodes, I just have no hope. <laughs> so, signing out. I'm Jesse. I'm John. And that's all. Thank you.